0: Hello, thank you for letting us take up some space in your life today. There's a lot of stuff going on at Christ Community, so be sure to check out the website to get involved. Also like and subscribe so you can see more of the content that's uh, coming out. Enjoy the sermon. Hello everyone, so glad you were here. Welcome to those who are watching us online. We are in the, in the midst of a very significant five week season as a church uh, where we're walking through John chapters 18 and 19 which describes Jesus' journey to the cross. We're calling this mini-series, The Way of the Cross, and we're inviting all of us as a church to engage in a couple things to go deeper in our understanding and our experience of the cross. So there are a couple of specific things that we're inviting people to engage in. Um, So one is, in addition to our weekly sermon, we have created a devotional guide that you can use each week. So each week has a different guide and as a way to go deeper in the passage that we look at together. And the guide has questions where you can allow Jesus to kind of speak to you from his word. Um, So each week's devotional guide can be found on our app, our website, the QR code in front of you, also in the information area. So I encourage you to to utilize that this coming week in the passage that we're looking at today. A second response that we're encouraging you to consider um, during this way of the cross season from now until March 6th is to give up something that you enjoy as a way to focus your heart on the sacrifice of Christ. So it's sort of like a Lent experience. So I decided to give up sweet tea, which may not be a big deal to you. It is a huge deal for me. Uh, Sweet tea is like my comfort food Um, I pick restaurants based on whether they have sweet tea or the kind of sweet tea they have. So Culver's, yay, Chick-fil-A, yay, Wendy's, boo, you know, that kind of thing anyway. But, um, and I often drink sweet tea, when I work, I drink it in the evenings. It's kind of a part of my life that brings me joy, okay? Um, so just a heads up, you know, if you feel like this sermon is a little bit more intense than usual, or maybe your interactions with me feel like I have a little bit of an edge, now you know why, okay? Um, just wait until March 7th, all right? Uh, but seriously, in, in a culture like ours, where, where self-indulgence is easy, Right? We just, we get what we want when we want it. Self-indulgence is really easy. There's something spiritually powerful about setting aside a season like this and sacrificing something that we enjoy for the, not just some religious thing, for the purpose of focusing our hearts more fully on what Jesus has done for us. Honestly, this last week, there have been these cravings, you know, and, I'm, and it just causes me, okay, Lord, I am surrendering this to you. Thank you for your sacrifice for me. Again, sweet tea, the cross. I'm not saying there's a direct correlation at all, but it has gotten me just out of... uh, 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 just a place where everything, you know, is for me. And it's it's helped me tune my heart more on the cross. And so it's not too late to, to, to do this. Jump in. We got three weeks left. Jump in. Um, our official finish date again is March 6th. <clears throat> so just pray about it. See if that's something that the Lord is inviting you to do. Okay, so last week we began our journey um, in, in, in these two chapters with the first part of John chapter 18, where Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He is arrested by a group of Jewish leaders and Roman soldiers, and then he's taken to the high priest for interrogation. So up to this point, everything has been focused on the Jewish leaders. They are the ones who are accusing Jesus of breaking their law by, you know, and blaspheming and teaching incorrect and dangerous doctrine. But they have a problem. They want to kill Jesus. They want to eliminate him completely and violently, but they are not able to do this. They're not able to do this on their own. See, Rome at that time, Rome didn't allow the Jews to execute people as a part of their own legal process. So, if the Jewish leaders wanted to, you know, wanted a very public leader, you know, figure like Jesus to be killed, they had to have Romans help. They had Rome's help. They they had they needed Rome to do the dirty work. Okay, which brings us to John 18, beginning in verse 28. So then, the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor. By now, it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone. See, that's what I was saying a moment ago they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Okay, so the religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate, who was the Roman governor of that region. And John tells us that these Jewish leaders did not enter into Pilate's residence. They weren't willing to go inside to talk to Pilate in order to avoid ceremonial uncleanness. Now, the irony is not lost on John, right? Here are these religious leaders that are so committed to to ritual purity, religious purity, and yet at the same time, they are so intent on killing an innocent man. This is where religious legalism always leads to to a self-righteous judging of other people for their sins and a convenient, Um, minimizing or being blind to our own sin. That's where legalism always leads. And we see it here. So Pilate, hearing that these religious leaders aren't even willing to come inside to his palace to talk to him, he goes out, to meet them. Um, I'm guessing, I'm pretty certain he's already ticked off. Um, He's the one, like he's governor of the region, but he has to go outside to talk to these religious leaders. And when he does, he asks them, what charges are you bringing against this man? And they respond in sort of a snarky way, right? If he weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have brought him to you. To which Pilate says, then you deal with him. He hasn't broken any Roman laws. You deal with him. But that response doesn't work for the religious leaders. Why? Because they want Jesus killed and they need Pilate to do their dirty work, which means crucifixion. The Jewish people didn't crucify. They were, you know, that was stoning and all that stuff in the Old Testament. If Jesus was going to be crucified, the Romans are going to have to do this. That was a Roman way of execution. And John points out that there's something theologically significant about this. What's happening here is a very significant thing that John points to in verse 32. Look at this again. He says this, this idea that they want him crucified, this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Earlier in the book of John, Jesus three times says that he will be lifted up from the earth. I will be lifted up and I will draw him into myself. All that, he says this three times, which John later realizes was a specific reference to the kind of death Jesus was going to experience. It's a very specific description of crucifixion, being lifted up. So clearly the cross is a part of God's plan. But the reason it happened is because of these Jewish leaders who insisted that Jesus be executed by Rome, okay? Now, I want you to notice how the free will of humans and the sovereignty of God are like they're working together here they're working together. Everything that the Jewish leaders and Pilate are freely choosing to do here, they're freely making these decisions, but everything they are doing perfectly fits into God's plan. And and, and look, even though this is kind of hard for us to comprehend, the Bible upholds both the free will of humans and the sovereignty of God. It upholds both of them. The Bible never describes our lives and choices as being some predetermined robotic thing. You know, know, someone's choosing for you, all that stuff. No, we are given the freedom to make choices and our choices matter. They matter. There are consequences to those choices, but the Bible also describes how those choices are never outside the realm of God's sovereign plan. So if I were to throw a rope up to one of those rafters, okay? So I have a rope goes up there. And so then I have two. imagine this in your mind. I have two, um, two ends of this rope, right? Let's say one side of this represents human freedom and the other side of it represents God's sovereignty, right? So right here, they are separate. They're completely separate. But if we were to follow the rope all the way to the top, we would realize they are joined together. They're actually united. See, the Bible affirms both the free will of people and, and to make choices. Choices that matter, they're not predetermined. And it also determines the sovereignty of God who is orchestrating his plans. Both of those, the Bible asserts, and both of, we see both of them here in this passage. The religious leaders are planning all this stuff, going to Pilate, he's gonna be crucified. But John says, oh, by the way, Jesus predicted he was gonna be crucified. So, so this is all a part of the plan. So at this point, because the religious leaders refuse to go into Pilate's residence, Pilate goes back inside his palace to have a convo with Jesus. And it is in the midst of this conversation that a very significant issue is brought up, the issue of kingdom. See, one of of the primary ways Jesus talks about his purpose and his life and his ministry is in using this language of kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom of God is wherever God is reigning as king. That's the kingdom. Okay, the kingdom of God. Now, this kingdom of God, as we're going to see here, is in direct, um, direct opposition to another kingdom, the kingdom of this world, which has a totally different mindset, a completely different set of values. And these two kingdoms are constantly colliding. They are constantly colliding, and we find ourselves in the middle of this collision a lot of times. And so too are Jesus and Pilate. They're right in the middle of it, as we're going to see in these next verses. Verse 33 Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Okay, so right here we have a front row seat into two very different kingdoms that are colliding with each other. So Pilate represents and reflects the kingdom of this world and Jesus represents the kingdom of God. And so in this conversation that we're gonna see here, Jesus describes two critical differences between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And these two differences are so important for us to understand. Because we too are so often caught in the middle of this collision between these two kingdoms in our everyday lives. We are caught in the middle of this collision, which raises this question, which of these two colliding kingdoms are we choosing to live in? Okay, the first distinctive element of Jesus' kingdom in contrast to the kingdom of the world has to do with the issue of power. How do we utilize Power. So for both the Jewish leaders and Pilate, they viewed power as a way to control other people. So in their kingdom system, kingdom of the world, power would be leveraged over people in order to get those people to do what they wanted them to do. This is the world's way of viewing This is the world's way of viewing leadership and hierarchy. Do all you can to get into power so that you can then order other people around and get them to do what you want them to do. So look at what Jesus says next. Verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, here's a contrast, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. See, in the kingdom of the world, Jesus is saying, people use power through violence or threats or deception or whatever to get what they want, to gain power over others. I mean, we see this, in, for instance, in the political system, right? Look at the that people that political parties go to in order to get their people elected spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on deceptive and exaggerated advertisements that we have to see over and over and over again in order to get us to vote for their candidate. Why? So that they can be in power and they can control the agenda. But it's not just politics. How many workplaces operate in this way? How many marriages operate in this way? where one spouse uses the power of anger or manipulation to get what they want. How many churches operate this way? Where leadership leverages its power to serve themselves. See, this is the kingdom of the world. This is the way the kingdom of the world works power naturally becomes a controlling and an oppressive thing. And everyone is susceptible to using it in this way, (laughs) including the religious people. Think about this. The Jewish people hated the Roman occupation. They hated the fact that Rome was in charge. But ironically, here are these Jewish religious leaders using their power to eliminate Jesus. So here he is, an innocent man standing before Pilate, about to be condemned to death, all because some religious leaders felt threatened by his influence and his teaching and decided they were going to use whatever power they had to get him killed. So whether it's political or relational or financial or religious power, the same thing applies. Power corrupts, power corrupts. We as humans instinctively use power as a way to control other people and to squelch their voice or their opinion in order to get what we want. So Jesus is basically saying, if my kingdom were of this world, I would have used violence. I would have used force. To assert my power like everyone else does but jesus says my kingdom is not of this world that's not how my power that's not how power is used in my kingdom in the kingdom of god power is leveraged to bless and help other people and this concept was unheard of in Jesus' day. Look, I mean, Caesar humbly using his power to honor and elevate and bless other people, that ain't happening, okay? That is not happening. But Jesus is living this out before our very eyes. He could have used his heavenly power or his earthly influence to get out of the situation. Maybe dial up a legion of angels. Hey God, could you help me out here? Or maybe try to argue his case more forcefully with Pilate pointing out how these false teachers are just throwing out a bunch of lies, things that he didn't do. But Jesus didn't do that, right? He didn't, he didn't try to argue his case to get out of this. Why, why not? Because his kingdom, he says, is not of this world. In his kingdom, power is not leveraged to control other people. It is leveraged to elevate other people and to lift up other people and to bless other people, which is exactly why he came to earth and why he chose the cross to elevate others. It's amazing what can happen when power is leveraged in this way, when it's leveraged for good. So I'm a K-State grad and a huge fan, and there's something pretty amazing happening right now um, with the K-State basketball um, team, Um, and it has to do with a coach that they hired last year, just a year ago. His name is Jerome Tang. He's a very strong, joyful believer in Jesus, and I have just been so inspired by the way he leads, the way he leverages his influence. He doesn't swear. He talks about things like joy and love. He elevates the players and the people around him. So I gotta share this story. A few weeks ago, our arch rival, KU, boo, okay. Anyway, they came to Manhattan to play, right? K-State. And the arena was of course rocking with lots of noise and purple and energized fans and students and all that. And has been the case for a number of years when a particular song is played over the sound system The thousands of students there begin to chant in unison a cuss word and then K-U, okay? And the cuss word starts with F. You can figure it out. All right, so it's blank, K-U, blank, K-U, over and over again. The whole arena, thousands, this this whole song through the whole song, they're doing this chant. So as this is happening, this first home game where KU's played. So this is the first time Coach Tang has experienced this. Camera pans over to him as this is going on, and he's just kind of shaking his head. So after the game, which they won, uh, as the students are doing this chant again, Coach Tang, he he hops up on a table. He hops up on a table. He grabs the microphone and he begins leading a different cheer. Do we have that photo? He leads a different cheer. K-S-U. K-S-U. And then he quiets the crowd and he says to them, it's amazing this is what he's saying right here. It is amazing what you can accomplish when you do it out of the motive of love and joy and passion rather than hate. The next game, when that song started, everyone in that arena was chanting, K-S-U, K-S-U. See, Jerome Tang is a follower of Jesus who knows how to leverage power in a way that elevates other people rather than denigrating or controlling other people. I mean, he could have just forbidden the song, never play the song again. I mean, he could have done that. He had the power to do that. But he went after this whole thing a different way. He leveraged his power In such a way that invited the students to choose to be the best version of themselves rather than to let their hearts be poisoned by hate. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, how are you using your power and your influence in your workplace, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your politics? How are we trying to gain power and why? Are we compromising our integrity in the ways we're trying to gain power over other people? See, these are kingdom questions that get to the heart of our faith and how we are choosing to live in this world. Okay, now Pilate wasn't tracking at all with what Jesus is saying, but as followers of Jesus, we need to be tracking with what Jesus is saying. We're following him. So we better be tracking with what Jesus is saying here because this is at the the heart of the cross. This is at the heart of the cross where God's power was leveraged in a way that blessed the whole world. That's how he uses power. Are we using our power in the same way? Second distinctive characteristic of God's kingdom, according to Jesus here, has to do with the issue of truth. How do we determine what is true? This is a huge issue in our culture today. This is a huge clash of kingdoms as it relates to the issue of truth, right? Look at where this conversation goes next. Verse 37, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. There's a colliding of kingdoms here, right? Colliding of kingdoms here as it relates to who determines what is true. Jesus asserts that in his kingdom, the kingdom of God, God determines what is true. Jesus says he came into this world to testify as to that truth and that anyone who wants to be on the side of genuine truth listens to Jesus. See, that's quite a claim, but it is a claim that Jesus has made throughout this book. I am the way and the truth and the life. John 14, then you shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free, John 8. Over and over again, Jesus has claimed to be the truth and urged people to align their lives with his truth. So in God's kingdom, here's how we would say it. In God's kingdom, Jesus is king. In God's kingdom, Jesus is king. And as king, Jesus determines what is true, period. We don't get to pick and choose. God's kingdom is not a democracy where we vote, on how we feel and what we feel is right and how and and wrong and, you know, what what we feel is, is right in terms of how we should spend our money or how we should express our sexuality or how we should treat people that we don't like. There is no vote. There is no vote. In God's kingdom, Jesus is king. He determines what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, which is very different from how the world, the kingdom of the world functions, right? In the kingdom of the world, self is king. Truth is self-determined, which is why Pilate reacts to Jesus' claim about truth. He says, ah, oh, what is truth? I mean, that's, that's the question of our age, right? What is Truth. In the kingdom of the world, there is no such thing as overarching objective truth. Whatever feels right to you, that's true for you. You determine your truth and I determine my truth. We all just determine our own truth. You determine what is true for you based on what feels right to you. Now, look, look, there's something that initially is very appealing about a kingdom like that, right? in which all of us are king. (laughs) There's something pretty appealing about that. But here's the deal, friends. Just think with me about this. Because part of you may be thinking, yeah, what's wrong with that? Well, think about this. When we step back and we look at, just an objective look at the trajectory of our culture that is pursuing this dynamic where self is king, everyone determines their own truth. An objective look at that reveals, I think the evidence is pretty clear. When self is king, relationships get divided and distant. Behaviors become addictions that tear families apart. Our quest for self-fulfillment leaves us empty and anxious and in despair. See, you don't have to look to the Bible to see this. Just look at, our, look at what's happening in our society. There are so many markers, so many indicators. Depression, anxiety, I mean, just addiction. Just, the, the, the indicators are enormous. There are plenty of secular experts. They're not, you know, listened to a lot, but there are plenty of them who are sounding the alarm. These are secular experts sounding the alarm about the destructive path we as humans are on. So Jesus offers us an alternative kingdom, one that is based on him as truth. Now, I know know that this may feel to some people as being oppressive. Jesus is king and he determines and there's no democracy. I look, I know this may feel like oppressive and robbing us of freedom, but the opposite is actually the case. (laughs) When we lovingly choose to listen to Jesus and align our lives with his truth, we experience life. And joy and freedom and hope and peace. And the reason is because of the kind of king Jesus is. He's not like Caesar or Putin or Pilate. If he was, that would not be good. But he's not like that. We, would, we wouldn't want to be a part of a kingdom where the king is like any of those people. But he's not like that. Jesus is is, is a king like the world has never known. He is loving and compassionate and good and strong and merciful and holy and trustworthy and humble. He is a king who leverages his power to elevate and bless other people. He, He is a king that doesn't use truth as a weapon to control people. He doesn't. He instead uses truth to set people free to show them the pathway to wholeness and life, but leaving the choice up to them. That's the kind of king he is. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It collides with this world in the areas of power and truth. So what happens next? Even after Pilate's cynical comment about truth He's still not convinced that Jesus deserves to die. He's doing every, everything he can to try to get, get out of this, right? And to get Jesus out of it at some level. Verse 38, with this, he went out. Again, he's going outside, inside, outside, out, outside again to the Jews gathered there and said, "'I find no basis for a charge against him, "'but it is your custom for me to release to you "'one prisoner at the time of the Passover. "'Do you want me to release the king of the Jews?'' He's trying, right? He's trying here. They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Okay, John does not want us to miss the significance and the irony of what is happening here. As is his custom, Pilate is willing to honor the Jewish celebration of Passover, which is about freedom and deliverance and all that. He's willing to honor that by letting one prisoner go free. And he's letting the people choose. So he gives the people a choice between Jesus, the innocent son of God, and Barabbas, who was a known criminal, who was part of a violent uprising against Rome. This is a choice between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. So the crowd chooses to release the person who used his power to overthrow and dominate other people, Barabbas. And in doing so, They condemned the true king, the the, the source of life who had been sent by God to them. And the ultimate irony that John clearly wants us to see is that this self-centered, violent decision against Jesus actually paved the way for all people, including those who crucified Jesus as well as you and me. Paved the way for us to experience the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus lovingly chose to go to the cross as a criminal, even though he was innocent, in order that those of us who are guilty of sin could be made innocent. That's the king we get to follow. That's the heart of this kingdom that Jesus invites us to align our lives with. Let's pray. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you from this passage, this collision of kingdoms? Are there places in your lives or your life or my life where we're following the kingdom of the world more than we're following the kingdom of Jesus? First of all, just in terms of power, how, how, are, how are you and I using our power? In our workplace, in our family, in organizations we're a part of, in our politics, how are we using our power? Are we using our power over others to control or are we leveraging our power to elevate and bless others just think about that for a moment holy spirit show us how we're using power Lord, this was such a crazy thing in the day in which you lived to use your power this way. It was unheard of, a king using his power in this way. And it's, it's kind of unheard of today in some respects. It's unusual, I should say. But we wanna be people like that, like you. We wanna be people who leverage whatever power or influence you have entrusted us with. We wanna be people who leverage that power to bless other people and to elevate other people and to give them the credit rather than ourselves the credit and to pour into other people and to lift up other people. And so would you help us, help us follow you as king in this area, Lord? Thank you for being a king. Not only models this for us, but we're we're recipients of you leveraging your power in this way. Thank you for that, Lord. And what, what about the area of truth? Are, are there places in your life, or my life, where you, you've resisted the kingdom of Jesus, and instead you're kind of defining your own truth, pursuing your own truth. how's that working out for you or me when we do that? Is it leading to life and wholeness and peace? Or is it leading to greater bondage and distance and destruction? So show us, Lord, any areas of our lives where we are not aligning with the truth that we know you represent and you teach, Jesus. So God, we confess that to you and we we choose right now to align our hearts afresh with you as King. And I want you, you all here um, and those watching, would you take a moment in prayer and just think about and remember the kind of king Jesus is. God, we praise you for being an amazing, loving, merciful, holy, courageous, loving, compassionate king, a humble king, and we say yes to you. We say yes to you. And we want to offer to you our lives in worship and surrender and praise because you're worthy of that, Jesus, our King. Hey friends, so wherever you are at after this message, if something stirred in you, um, We are here for you if you need someone to talk to, if you want to process some of this, um, or you just want somebody to pray for you. We are available and accessible. You can go to our website, click on the chat button, and there is somebody there that will respond. Um, And yeah, we would love to pray for you. So we hope you guys have a great week.